Well, good morning. It is a pleasure for me to be here with you. Uh, for those of you who might not know who I am, my name is Jonathan Neufeld. I am the Promontory Campus Pastor, and uh, it is a joy to be able to open the Word of God with you this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to open to Psalm 84. Uh, we are going to be continuing our series uh, entitled, My Favorite Psalm. And uh, this morning, I get to share with you mine. So if you have a Bible, uh, it will be helpful for you. You can grab one. We have some just outside the doors. Or, of course, just open it on your phone. That works as well. Well, it's a little sad to say, but summer is coming to an end. As uh, Pastor Tyson already has made us aware, fall is coming. September is almost here. Our kickoff is just two weeks away. And uh, if you're anything like me, you're actually looking forward to it. Uh, I look forward to a little bit of the cooler weather, being able to, to go outside and not worry about having to die of heat or, as it has been for the last little while, smoke inhalation. Um, it's nice to have a little bit of cool, a little bit of rain. My Vancouver sensibilities just really love that time of year. And, uh, but September always does feel like a bit of a new start, doesn't it? It feels like a new year. It's the new school year. Everything's kicking off once again. And, and I know January's technically New Year's, but, but this is really the beginning, isn't it? And so it's a good time for us just to kind of stop, take a moment before all the busyness of September sets in. And just take a step back and think about, well, what are the goals that I have for this fall? What, what are the things that I'm going to be working towards in this next uh, few months, in this next year? What are the things I'm going to be pursuing? Because really what I want to ask behind that is the question, well, what are you longing for? What are you really wanting? Because often when we set our goals, we set things like, well, go to school, get good grades, you know, maybe get the promotion, maybe, you know, start a new venture, play on a sports team, whatever that might be. But really behind that, often they're telling us a little bit about what we are actually wanting, about the things we actually value, the things that our heart actually longs for. Right? Sometimes we see that in just the moments that we have, the, the, the time when our mind gets to wander. Right? They don't happen often, but those moments where we can just let our minds wander to wherever they want to go and ask ourselves, where do we land? Where do we often end up dwelling, thinking, letting our mind rest? What are those things, and is that actually what I'm chasing after? I think oftentimes we end up doing exactly that. We end up chasing after the things where, we, where our minds are dwelling. But I want to ask the question then, what about our spiritual lives? We set all kinds of goals, we have all kinds of desires about the things we want to accomplish, about the things we want to do, and I think very often we don't set ourselves any goals for our spiritual life. We figure that's just going to continue on as it always does. But this morning, our passage challenges us to something further. This morning, our passage challenges us to actually long to know God more. Now, I know if you've been in church for a little while, it, you know the right answer. Do you want to know God better? Yes, of course. Right? That, that's the standard answer. Yes, we all want to know God better. But I'm going to ask you, is that what your heart is really longing for? Is that the thing that's driving you that you'd say, you know what, unless I know God better this fall, I will not be happy? 
See, I think that's the challenge for us this morning. And so I'm going to let that just simply rest as we come to our passage, as we come to Psalm chapter 84, as we read through it. So please follow along with me in your own Bibles or on the screen behind me. Starting in verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that you continually call to us. Father, this morning, even as we consider the state of our own hearts, as we consider our own longing after you, Lord, I pray, would you enliven our hearts? Would you inflame us with a passion for who you are? Father, that we might know the blessings of what it means to dwell with you, that we might experience the blessings of relying on your strength, and that we might trust in your steadfast and sure promises. Father, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning as we look at this psalm, Psalm 84, a little part of me is tempted to say just nothing at this point. Simply to let this psalm rest where it is because the beauty of so many of these psalms is they don't really need an explanation. They don't need me to say, well, this is what it says. The point is clear, isn't it? The author, one of these sons of Korah, you can see that in the heading of uh, Psalm 84, The author is longing to be with God. Everything in him is desiring, is is pursuing after God with all of his might. And I think the reason that I chose this psalm, well, the reason I chose this psalm, it's my favorite, is because so often I don't. So often this isn't what my heart looks like. So often this isn't where I'm at. If I'm honest, yes, I I want to know God better, but do I find myself longing to be with him? I think I find my heart, I find my passion for God can burn very low. It can slow down and I can get distracted in all of the thousand other things that happen around me. All of the, the busyness of life, all of the good and the bad can draw me away from actually longing after God. And so the question then we have is, well, we come to a passage like this, 
And we have to ask the question, well, what do I do then? Am I just stuck? Right? Here is this person, here is this writer, and he has this passion for God I don't share. Is there anything that I can do? See, sometimes we're convinced we're just helpless. Well, I'll just, I don't know, wait. Wait until the light switch gets turned on. Because right? that's often how we think about our passions, our desires. We think about them like a light switch. It's either on or off. And that's all there is to it. It's either on or it's off, and there's not much we can do. Now, hear me, I think sometimes God can work in our hearts like that. I think sometimes God does. He just impresses something upon our heart. You need to be serving here. You need to go on missions. You need to share the gospel with your neighbor right now. God can do that. But the reason those times are so extraordinary is because they aren't the norm. In fact, that's not normally how our hearts function. In fact, I think a more helpful analogy is something like a campfire, right? If you've gone camping, you'll know you start a campfire, not by simply, boom, throwing a bunch of fire on. No, you've got to start very small, don't you? You start with kindling, and you get that started until you can add a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until finally you're throwing a whole log onto the fire, and it is warm and it is bright, See, that's what our passions actually look like far more. They are built and they are fueled through the things that we do. The time that we spend thinking about something, the mental energy or space, these things all contribute, add on to these fires that we are building. And so the reason I love this psalm, the reason I love this psalm is not because this is always an accurate picture of my heart. I think this psalm is written in order to add to that fuel, to add to that fire, so that we might long for God more, that we might love him greater and greater as we see his glory, as we behold sort of the blessings that God has given. That's really my prayer for us this morning that God would use this even though it does not always reflect us, that he might use it to grow that longing and that passion for him. So as we take this psalm, we're, we're just going to walk through it piece by piece. And you might not have noticed right away, but this psalm is actually very nicely broken up into three sections, right? It works really great for sermons because it's got three points, right? In fact, if you see at the end of verse 4 and the end of verse 8 in your Bibles, there's a little word that says salah. Right? That's, a, that's a Hebrew word. It just means pause. It's one of these musical terms that we find throughout the Psalms. And it's just telling us, take a pause. Pause for a moment and reflect on what was just said. And in fact, if you notice, there's two of them nicely breaking up this passage into three sections. In fact, there's four verses each. And in each one, there is a blessing that is pronounced. Verses 4, verse 5, and verse 12 all are blessings. And so we're just going to use that structure, and we're just going to walk through this passage. And what I want us to see is not the the condemnation of saying, you know what, you don't look like this. Rather to say, God, build me more like this. Give me a heart that longs for these blessings. So let's look at just the first one. Verse 1 begins with a blessing for those who dwell with God. Verse 1 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints, 
for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Psalmist begins and just says, I am longing with everything. My heart, soul, flesh is crying out to be in the dwelling place of God. And let me ask a question that I hope isn't too obvious, but where exactly does God dwell? Where exactly does God dwell? In fact, is he in, in heaven? Right? Certainly he is there, but, but the Bible teaches God is everywhere. In fact, he is omnipresent. He is present all the time. And so really, shouldn't this psalm just be saying, you are with me? Why is he longing to be with God? In fact, verse 2 begins to talk about these courts, right? You see them come up again and again in this psalm. These courts, and he's talking about the temple. Okay, so he's talking about this, this Old Testament temple where God dwelled, but you'd say, well, but God isn't exactly confined to a box. So what is going on? Well, in fact, Solomon, the, the, the king, if you remember who actually built the temple, when he was commissioning it, here's what he says. He says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. He says, look, God isn't going to be contained in any house. Going to the end of that passage, verse 30. It says, and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. And listen in heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. You see, the temple was not simply the place where God dwelled. Yes, he was there. He was everywhere. But in fact, the temple was the place where the forgiveness of God would come to us, where sin would be dealt with. That's where the temple was. That was the place that the psalmist is longing to be, where sin is taken away. Because in fact, that is the promise of being with God. He is away from all sin, sadness, and sorrow. In fact, the prophet Isaiah speaks of this day that is coming. This is what he says. He says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. To speak of the dwelling place of God is to speak of a place that is away from sin, from all of the chaos and calamity of this life. To dwell with God is to be with him unhindered by any sin. A place where the barrier between God and man is torn down. It's a place of joy and gladness and singing and rejoicing. In fact, that's why the psalmist goes on and says, My heart and my flesh, they cry out in singing and praise to the living God. It is the blessing of being with God to be unhindered by sin. And the psalmist wants us to realize it is open for all. Verse 3, he gives an analogy. It says, Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. My king and my God. It says even the sparrows, even the birds are able to, to flutter into the presence of God. They are welcome. They are safe and secure there. In fact, Jesus in the New Testament, he picks up a little bit on this theme of these, these birds that are taken care of. In fact, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? See, Jesus says, look, the Father is taking care of even the the birds of the air, the ones that, that don't do anything for themselves. They don't add to anything. They're simply the creation. God is taking care of them. Is he not going to take care of you as well? In fact, I think Psalm 84 is making that same point. If even the birds, the swallows, and the sparrows are allowed to come in to the temple, how much also are we? We are welcomed into God's presence, to this place where there is rejoicing and joy. In verse 3, he ends off and he says, My King and my God. He addresses God both as as king and and Lord. That is, he is going to be the ruler over all of my life, over all of creation. But did you notice what he said? He says, my king, my God. You see, not only are they welcomed in, not only are they safe and secure and joyful, it is a place where we have an intimate relationship with God. It's why Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, our Father. We are to come to God on this familial level. We are now family. The New Testament says you are adopted into the household of God. So this blessing that we come to in verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. It's a blessing for those to come to an open and intimate relationship with God where sin is no more, where there is joy and peace and singing and resounding praise. See, that, that is what the psalmist is longing for. That's what the temple is, this representation of what it will someday be. And you might say, well, okay, but we don't have the temple. And you're right. Paul says in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 2, he writes to the Ephesian church and he says, In him, in Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, we don't have the temple as this reminder of all these blessings. No, in fact, God says, the dwelling place that I shall have is the church itself. The church is to be my dwelling place. Now, hear me. We are not perfect. This isn't a perfect church. We never will be a perfect church. There are no perfect churches on this side of eternity. But nonetheless, this is the place where God has determined he would pour out blessings. So as we come into this new year, this new school year, as we think about all the busyness of life, let me just ask, Where does church stand in all of that? I don't mean to condemn. I don't mean to to sort of cast stones upon you. What I'm saying is here, don't run away from these blessings. Don't take yourself out of the blessings that God is determined to pour out upon the church. Be a part of the church of God, his dwelling place. Be among his people that we might dwell with God ever singing his praises. There's a blessing for those who dwell with him. But that's not all the psalmist has in mind. In fact, he says there is a blessing for those who rely on him. Verse 5 says, Blessed are those whose strength 
is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. It's a blessing for those who rely on God's strength. As they go through this life, we learn not to rely on how much I can do, but rather to rely on how much God is able to do. Verse 6 He gives another example. He says, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. See, the psalmist here changes the picture. He shifts the idea here just a little bit for us. Instead of being in the temple, he says, now it's as if you're going on a pilgrimage, as if you're traveling up to Jerusalem. Right? You remember in the Old Testament, Jerusalem was the center. It's where they held all of their festivals, their feasts. And so people would come to Jerusalem to celebrate together. But of course, you had to get to Jerusalem. If you didn't live there, depending on how far away you actually lived, you'd have to walk. It would take days, even weeks, to get to Jerusalem. And as you go, there's all kinds of dangers along the way. You'd have to go through some very desolate places. This is that valley of Baca that he keeps talking about. Right? The Valley of Baca isn't a geographical spot. It's really just talking about a desolate place. Baca trees or shrubs, they were these plants that only grew wherever it was dry. So he's saying, as you go up to Jerusalem, as you make this journey, you're going to go through these valleys where there is dryness. But he says, for those who rely on God, it's going to be a lush place of springs and pools. You're going to go from strength to strength, from oasis to oasis as you go through this life. In fact, it's exactly what Moses says. He has led the people through some hard times out of Egypt, and as they cross the Red Sea, this is what he says. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Moses says that God is his strength. He could not have done any of that outside of God's uh, strength at that time. God is both the source of our joy. He is also the one to take us through hard times. In fact, as we read our Bibles, we see this all the time, don't we? especially in the book of Psalms, talking about the leading of God through even difficulties. One of the most famous Psalms we have in our Bible, Psalm 23, right? Most of you, I'm sure, have heard it at least at one point. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, the point is that God is leading us through all of these different stages of life, through the green pastures where everything is lush and beautiful, and he's also leading in the valley of death. Where things are difficult and horrible, God is still with us there as well. In fact, that's what Psalm 84 is telling us. God is with us in that desolate valley, in our trials, our sorrows, our tribulations that we go through. God is still with us. But of course, whenever we actually hit one of those times, whenever we're actually suffering, the question usually comes up. God, why did you lead me here? 
Why didn't you lead me to, to, to another green pasture? Why am I now in a desolate valley? And I think our psalm gives us two answers to that question. Two answers. The first is simply this. We see God's strength most clearly as it is set against the background of our own weakness. We have more and more cause to praise God, to rejoice, and to sing for joy when we see it is God who is carrying me through, and it's not my own ability. And the harder and harder things get, the more and more we see that contrast between what we are able to do and how strong and mighty is our God. Second answer, I think, comes from verse 8. Verse 8, he says, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. See, I think one of the reasons God lets us go through these times is so that we would learn to cry out like this. That we would learn to cry out to God with everything that we have. God, would you save me? Would you hear my prayer? O God of Jacob. Do you remember the story of Jacob? Jacob was a twin. He had a brother, Esau. And even though they were twins, they ended up going in radically different paths in their life. Now, sure, Jacob was a bit of a scoundrel, right? He was a thief, he was a cheat, he was a liar, and a whole host of other things. And finally, when these two brothers had to separate, was because Jacob had actually stolen his brother's inheritance. He had stolen it, and so he ran for his life. Didn't want Esau to find him. It took decades for them to come back together. And if you remember the story, it's, it's found in Genesis 32. Jacob is starting to approach Esau. And he is nervous because Esau might well just kill him on the spot. And so he's sending all these gifts in front. You know, here's sheep, here's cattle. Here, here, just take it all. Just, just don't kill me. And the very night before he's going to meet Esau... God actually comes to him. God comes to him as an angel. And if you remember the story, Jacob begins to wrestle with God. He actually grabs hold of him and he says, I'm not letting go until you bless me. See, Jacob spent all night wrestling with God. Why? Because he realized that he couldn't go through the next day without God. He couldn't go through the very next day unless God was going to be with him. And he grabbed on and he said, I am not letting go. See, God wants to teach us like that. He wants us to rely on him, to grab hold and say, I'm not letting go unless you are with me. Unless you're with me, I can't go through tomorrow. I can't go through the next meeting. I can't go to the next doctor's appointment. I can't do it. God, be with me. Give me strength. The blessing that we are promised is that God's strength is never insufficient. God's strength never fails. In all of the dryness, in the valley of death, God's strength never lacks. He will carry us through all the way that we might praise him more and more. You, God, have carried me through. Blessed is the one who dwells in your house, for they will have joy and gladness. 
Blessed is the one whose strength is in you, for your strength will never fail. Finally, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Verse 9 begins this final stanza of this poem, of this psalm. And it begins in a little bit of a different way. Psalmist writes, Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. He begins by saying to God, Here, look at our shield. Now, obviously, this isn't a physical shield. No, he's talking about their defense, their, 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 their fortress, their protector. And he says, God, here, consider, look at our protector. And then he says, look at the face of your anointed. In fact, what he's saying is here, the anointed one is our protector, our defender, the one we are trusting in. Now, some of you, if you've been around church, you're going, Anointed one. Oh, that sounds familiar, right? I think I heard that about Jesus. And in fact, you're right. But this was written hundreds of years before Jesus was around. Before Jesus was there, this was written. In fact, as we go through the Old Testament, we realize the anointed one is a title for the king of Israel. Right? If you remember King David, he was the first real king of Israel. And God anointed him to be king. And then God came to David and said, Now, David, here's what's going to happen. One of your sons, one of the kings after you, is going to be an eternal king. He shall reign with justice and righteousness, and his kingdom shall have no end. It's not going to be you, David, but it's going to be someone coming after you. Someone who will get rid of sin upon the upon the earth, and in fact reign in righteousness. See, that's where Jesus comes in. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. What the psalmist is saying is, God, I am trusting that one day our deliverer will come. One day your true anointed one is going to come, and that is where I'm placing my trust. It comes to us in Jesus Christ. In fact, he's the reason why any of this is good news for us. Why is it good news that we can dwell with God? How is it that we can be forgiven of our sin? Well, in fact, it's Jesus himself, the one who took our place, that even though we had sinned, even though we had earned wrath and judgment, Jesus takes it on himself and dies in our place. So that anyone... Anyone who would place their trust, who would place their faith in Jesus, would be saved. If you're here today, that is the good news for you. That if you would place your faith in Jesus, all of the blessings we've been talking about, all of these things are poured out through Jesus himself. Because he stood in our place, because he fulfilled it and we didn't. That for those who would trust in him, they would be saved. See, it's the reason why verse 10 then gets written. Verse 10 says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. What's he saying? 
He's saying that to be in God's house, to be with God, is of far greater value than anything that anyone else has to offer. That he would rather be this doorkeeper, the guy who just stands and opens the door. The lowest of the low servants, he would rather have that job than dwell in all of the glamour and the riches and the wealth and the fame that everyone else has to offer. Or if, if we're going to put it in our language, give a sort of a modern example, let me put it to you this way. Imagine you could go back 20 years. You could rewind back 20 years, but you take everything that you know now, and you are given the choice. You are given an option to buy stocks in one of two companies. On the one hand, you could buy 100% of Blockbuster Video or 5% of Apple. Which would you choose? Knowing all that you know now, I think the choice is obvious, isn't it? You're going to go with Apple. 5% of Apple, by the way, is worth something like $50 billion today. That's more than Blockbuster Video had ever been worth in its entire existence. Why? So why would you make that choice? Well, because that small, tiny percent, 5%, is greater than everything else on the other side. See, that's what David is, or David, he didn't write this psalm. That's what the psalmist is saying. That in fact, it is better to be destitute, to be homeless and loved by God than to own 100% of Apple. In fact, Paul says it this way. Philippians chapter 3, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. See, what Paul is doing here is he is setting before him. Here is everything the world has to offer. Every advantage, every uh, rich fame, wealth, toy that money can buy. Here is everything that the world has to offer. And he says, in comparison to what God is offering in eternity... This is nothing. This is like rubbish in the trash bin. I don't want it. In the face of eternal, everlasting, unhindered joy, why would I sacrifice it for a few measly pebbles? Paul is saying it is of un or infinite worth. See, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Eldon came and he preached on Psalm 90. So glad he did. It's such an excellent preparation for this. Psalm 90 makes this beautiful contrast between the everlasting God and the shortness of our own life. We have but 70 or 80 years. And so the point is to call us, do not waste them on what ultimately will be worth nothing. Rather, spend them on eternity. Verse 11 says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. To spend them on the God who is both our provider and our defender. 
like the sun that warms the earth and gives abundance and life, like a shield that shields us from harm. He does not withhold anything good from us, but abundantly gives us himself. And then he adds that little line right at the end, for those who walk uprightly. And we stop for a moment and we think, well, hold on, because I don't. I don't always walk uprightly. Sure, I try, but, but I'm stumbling all the time. If we, if we looked at my life, it would not look always upright. Am I excluded? Am I excluded from this? My answer is yes. That might not be the answer you're expecting. But the answer is yes, because the blessing is for the one who trusts not in himself, but in God. For us, it is the blessing comes not because we have done so much good, but because Jesus has done it on our behalf. The blessing is for those who are in Jesus Christ. He has walked uprightly, and in him, all the blessings of God are given to us. Do not trust in yourself, but rather trust in God, in his promises, which do not end, which always come true. Verse 12 says, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. See, this psalm just gives us such a little peek, just a little glimpse into these blessings that God has for those who follow after him. For those who dwell with him, there is eternal joy. For those who rely on his strength, there is strength unfailing. For those who trust in him, his promises are sure. In fact, these are not gifts that are meant to be hidden away. Rather, they are to be embraced, rejoiced, sung, extended to others, and longed for the day when they all shall be complete. See, I know as we start off this new school year, it's always a time where busyness starts to cloud in, where everything starts to distract us, where the fire of our passion for God starts to burn real low. Would you make this, time, this fall a time of feeding that fire, of feeding that more and more and saying, I want to know God more. I'm longing to be with him. If you're here this morning, maybe you're saying, ah, there's no fire to feed. There's no fire to feed at all. I've never longed for any of this. But maybe this morning you're starting to realize something might be missing. If you're here this morning and, and God is starting to, to just chip away at your heart, I just want to encourage you, come talk to me. Come talk to one of the other pastors. There's going to be people here after the service who'd love to pray with you. We encourage you, start that journey even today. See, as we close, I'm going to invite up the worship team to come lead us in some songs and singing and rejoicing. But I want to end with the final words of some of the closing words of our Bible. Revelation chapter 21. The writer John writes of his experience of what he sees as God reveals to him just a small peek at what eternity would look like. This is what he writes. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Might this be our longing every day? Father, we confess that there are times where our hearts long so little, where we have not desired after you, where we have not pursued after you. Lord, I pray, would you enliven that fire in our hearts? Would you allow us to seek after you, to long after you beyond anything else? Lord, take away the distractions that we might know you more. Father, that the blessings that you give might be known to us, that we might experience them and rejoice with joy everlasting. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for bringing us here, allowing us to know you. Thank you for the steadfast promise of Jesus that anyone who trusts in you would have eternal life. We thank you for these things and ask them in your name. Amen.